Radio. Welcome to the Liberty Block, where accountability, freedom, and logic are paramount. Happy Wednesday, and welcome to the Liberty Block on 1490 WGCH and WGCH.com anywhere. I'm your host, Elliot Axelman. I'm back here with my brother, Laser Axelman. Hi there, everybody. Back one last time on my way out to Wyoming, straight from here. And our phone number, if you would like to be part of the program with a question or comment, is 203-661-5051. During the last half hour, the last 20 minutes of our show, we're going to have an amazing guest, Matt Phillips, president of the Free State Project. The first part of our show will be one of our co-hosts laying out the groundwork for that interview. By way of briefly introducing myself so as to explain my viewpoint, I began following politics more than 25 years ago, quickly becoming a Rush fan or a ditto head. I learned much of what I know from Rush. I was a 24-7 member until last summer when I could no longer stomach his defenses of Donald Trump, which took up an ever-increasing percentage of his show and took more and more twisting himself into a pretzel to do so, especially after he would give a minute or two to stating that the only real conservative in the race was Ted Cruz. For many years, I listened to Sean Hannity on the radio and occasionally watched his TV show. I dropped Sean years ago for several reasons. I felt he was way too combative, and at least concerning his TV show, I disliked how he kept having rhinos on his show. It seemed like every other day was a show for John McCain. For many years I listened to Mark Levin, and I mostly continue to do so. I am currently a subscriber to his new conservative review TV network. I will return to Mark Levin in a moment. For those listeners who don't know, he is actually on the radio the same time as we are. For those of you who want a calm, rational dialogue on the issues with, <laughs> without being screamed at, please stay here on WGCH 1490 with us. For those who prefer... Liberty Block. <laughs> no, for those of you who prefer, get off the phone, you big jerk. We are sorry to lose you, but you can find Mark Levin and that treatment on another station. I also read a lot. Among the sites and RSS feeds I peruse daily are Drudge, Canada Free Press, American Thinker, Hot Air, Michelle Malkin, Newsbusters, Daily Wire, and Real Clear Politics, The Daily Caller, World Net Daily, and others, not to mention a great many sites about Israel-related news. Of late, I have begun reading more libertarian websites and listening to more of their podcasts. So I would like to believe that my political opinions are based on something more than just thin air. I have read several of Mark Levin's books, and like many, including Senator Mike Lee, who recently said he ran for office after reading Liberty and Tyranny, I have learned much from them. I have not bought Mark Levin's newest book, nor do I intend to, which leads me to my point. 
from all of what I have heard, read, and listened to, including Mark Levin himself and Dan Bongino when he subbed for Mark Levin on last Friday's show, our country is founded, as we used to know it, is over and done with. Fini. Kaput. So some of these numbers that I've discovered over the last few months and I realized that help to make the case and to make people who say they love liberty, conservatives, libertarians, independents around the country, to make them understand that this country as a whole is – it's over. It's not worth fighting for liberty to win in this country as a whole. You might have some conservatives and libertarians saying, well, there are some states. Look at the red states. Was it 25, 30 states? Trump won maybe 35 states that are still red, and, and Republicans, they, they love liberty, right? McConnell loves liberty. Paul Ryan loves liberty. Yeah. So a lot of people say that. So I, here we have uh, the election results by state. New Mexico, which is a pretty free state. Our little brother just moved down there, and he's open carrying now, and he says it's one of the freest states. Clinton won that state 48%. 48% of that state voted for Clinton versus 40% voted for Trump, the Republican nominee in 2016. Texas, always a securely red state, a pretty free state, pretty conservative, pretty libertarian values for its entire history. Trump won 52.6% of the vote, but 43.4% of the people in Texas voted for Hillary Clinton, the Democrat nominee, even though she was a horrendous Democrat nominee. Arizona, one of the freest states. They're technically number one in gun laws, according to every list. One of the freest states overall. Arizona, 45% voted for Clinton. So Trump barely won that, meaning if you look at the election results over time by state, Arizona is up to 45%. Texas is up to 43.4%. Within one or two or three more cycles, once Texas – really, Texas is all that matters, and then the vote would go to the Democrat. But a few of these states, Arizona, 45% went to Clinton. Georgia, 456 went to Clinton from Georgia, always a, a solidly red state. North Carolina, 46.7% went to Clinton. Florida, 47.8%. That was close. Iowa, 42.2%. Extremely conservative state. People say it's so libertarian. Louisiana, 38.4% to Clinton. Mississippi, 39.7% to Clinton. Virginia, 49.9% to Clinton and only 45% to Trump. I think it's important to note here that reading off a list of red states, including some of, by ranked metrics, the reddest states in the United States of America, like Holly mentioned, Arizona is consistently ranked as the state with the best gun laws in the entire United States. Texas is always thought of as the red state. It's the cowboy state. It's where everybody's got a giant hat and shoots guns off in the Wyoming air. Wyoming is the cowboy state. Wyoming is the cowboy state. That's where I'm going. That's why I'm going there. Wyoming went 70% red. Wyoming went Republican by the widest margin in the entire country this last election. But what I really want to point out here is that most of the red states this past election, and if you go back a few elections and look at the trend here, states are being – they're going red in elections by slimmer and slimmer margins. And so the people who think that these are still redeemable situations are looking and saying, well, look at how many states went red. And they're ignoring the fact that these states are going red by a hair's breadth, whereas the blue states are very, very securely blue. They're winning by wide margins. These are not states that can be swayed back to red. But these red states, especially in this last election with so many counts getting so close and, you know, some of the states going at 47 to 48%, 40s to 40s, mid-40s. There were several states within a percentage point. These are states that can slip with a single good campaign. These are states that can slip with just a little bit of money going toward one more candidate. Or where the Democrat candidate is not terrible like Clinton. Because most Democrats did hate her. What if the, they put up a decent candidate? I mean, 
Cory Booker's young, energetic, good-looking, and and all those candidates. This is true. I mean, there were there was the never Hillary camp from the left side, just like there was a never Trump camp from the right side. If they had put up perhaps somebody that more Democrats could have been felt attuned to, these are states that can go blue very very easily. Mark Levin says that we now live under some type of soft tyranny, some type of post-constitutional republic. Mark Levin states repeatedly that he can see no other solution than the Convention of States, which I will address in a minute. I no longer listen to Rush, but even those like him who were 100% against third parties a few years ago are no longer shutting the door on them including Dan Bongino and even Mark Levin at times. That is because Levin has finally realized that the Republicans lie and are not much better than the Democrats. Of course, since we keep voting the Republicans in, we really should apply the old saying, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. There was a time when I was quite interested in the Convention of States idea, but for the following reasons I have given up on that plan. First, it will never happen. I believe that to date, 12 states have voted for it, and among them are the more red states. No way in the world will 22 more states vote for it. In the extremely unlikely event that such a convention will take place, we can find no one to answer who will represent the states there. Even from the most red states, it is hard to foresee that anyone to the right of our current rhino leadership could possibly represent us. So the one who, the person who made the Convention of States, the Article 5 Convention, really famous again and brought it to the forefront of at least conservative and libertarian culture was Mark Levin. He wrote the book Liberty Amendments a few years ago, and he outlined what kind of amendments he would like to see come from a Convention of States. And and it was fantastic. And then I started – as I spent more time on conservativereview.com, which is Mark Levin's site. He's editor-in-chief. I looked at the rankings, and I realized the he ranks all the congressmen, the U.S. representatives, and the senators. Almost all of them rank terribly because almost all of them are terrible. So Mark Levin is correct on that, and we agree with him on that. He, he says about 95 percent of Republicans in the U.S. House and the Senate are, are liars, rhinos, and they're generally Democrats like Murkowski. And he spends a lot of his time on his show, Mark Levin, three hours every night just yelling about Murkowski from Alaska and, and Flake and McCain from Arizona and Ort and Hatch and, and Cornyn and, and so many senators. So I, I looked at conservative review, and I looked at maybe the, the 10 most conservative, liberty-loving states that Mark Levin would love. Their congressional delegations, their U.S. representatives and U.S. senators, on average, I, I have a, a list here. I got to find the article that I wrote a few months ago. On, it's on libertyblock.com. The U.S. senators and congressmen from the reddest states, take Arizona, Alaska, Texas, Wyoming, Louisiana, Mississippi, all, all these states, the most conservative states, they get Ds, Es, and Fs. 98% of them, I think, 95 98% of them are ranked by conservativereview.com, the Liberty Score, which is Mark Levin's thing. He ranks them himself as Ds, Es, and Fs, which is 50%, 40%, and Murkowski, who's a Republican, Ranks, what was it, 20%, 15%, which is lower than almost any liberal in, in the whole U.S. Senate. Just because you write Republican after your name doesn't make you one. Yeah, exactly. So so 
who's Murkowski? She was the person that Alaska voted to represent them in the U.S. Senate. So if, in, in Mark Levin's dreams, a, a convention of states could occur, which it wouldn't happen. 34 states wouldn't, wouldn't pass it in their state house. But if it happened, best case scenario of the people or if the state senators or whoever would vote to elect one delegate or a delegation to be sent to the convention of states to propose and then pass amendments at this, this Article 5 convention, best case scenario – the delegates, the 50 delegates at the convention, or the 50 votes for, for however large the delegations are, would consist of people like, best case scenario, John McCain, Lisa Murkowski, Jeff Flake, Orrin Hatch, uh, John Corden. These, these are the people. This is it. Those are the most conservative states. Wyoming, which is technically the most conservative state, had the lowest percentage vote for Clinton. That's the most self-identified conservatives, according to the U.S. Census. Thanks for doing that, Laser. You got it. And, and uh, even those states, they have Ds, Es, and Fs ranked 50%, 60% to Mark Levin's Liberty Score. So that's why this Convention of States, I, I was initially extremely excited by it, and I, I can't get on board with it because I think even if it does happen, it, it cannot possibly be successful according to Mark Levin himself, his rankings. Let's look at the proposed amendments themselves. Among them are, quote, subject federal departments and bureaucratic regulations to periodic reauthorization and review. Does that mean that federal departments, bureaus, and regulations that per the Constitution should not exist at all, as their regular powers should be vested in Congress, they will now be legalized and memorialized by this amendment? Do we really believe that a balanced budget amendment, even if passed, will not be sabotaged by higher taxes through one trick or another, or by other budget tricks? And as insane as this may sound, what will happen if the Supreme Court rules that a constitutional convention is unconstitutional? Or that limiting the terms of the Supreme Court justices is unconstitutional? If we haven't the strength to fight off the media in our current situation— do we really believe we will have more strength and fortitude later when trying to make such foundational changes to our government? And since one of the reasons for a convention of states is because we are now unmoored from and not following the Constitution, why should we believe that we will follow an amended one any better? We are one vote away from losing the Second Amendment. And if that ever happens, the Libs will declare it settled law and precedent to never be revisited. Do we think courts will enforce new amendments any better than now? Now to my problem with Mark Levin's most recent book. I admit that Mark Levin is at least as intelligent as I. More educated in most of these areas and has done much more research in these areas than I have. So here's my problem. Many of us, including many of the pundits, have compared our country to driving off a cliff or heading into a train wreck. Using the metaphor of driving off a cliff, this is what Mark Levin's scholarly new book proposes for the driver and passengers in that car. Take out the manual and read in depth about why the car's brakes aren't working. Find out the name and lineage of the mechanic who missed the problem, and look into his educational and philosophical background, 
under whose tutelage he gained his knowledge and know-how. Ditto for the manufacturer of the car, its parts, the dealership who sold it, etc. Because if we could only realize how the theories and engineering behind the physics of brakes have progressed over the years, we would be saved. Really? Folks, we are going off a cliff. With the Democrats in charge, we do so at 60 miles an hour. With the rhinos in charge, we slow down to about 30 miles an hour. Frankly, I don't give a damn about how we got here. I want to not go over the cliff. Of course, if you do want to understand the philosophy behind our mess and find out if it's attributable to Rousseau, Locke, Montesquieu, or Plato, that other show is still on the air. But if you are more concerned with not dying over a cliff, don't touch that radio doll. I say this with great sadness, but I am pretty sure it would be no surprise to the founders. America is not fixable, not as the federal government currently operates, not with our two-party system so firmly in charge. When asked about what type of government was created for the new nation, Benjamin Franklin is quoted as responding, a republic if you can keep it. The founders wrote in the Declaration, Whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to effect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shewn that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. The founders were not so deluded to think that the Constitution, the greatest form of government ever invented, would protect against tyranny forever. On the contrary, they may have been surprised to think it lasted this long, more or less. That is why they called it our right and duty to abolish tyrannical governments and form new ones when necessary. And this is the saddest part of Mark Levin's belief system and the belief system of many educated and not-so-educated people in our country today. In Levin's world, the Civil War or as, many a, or as many of us prefer, the war between the states, settled the issue of secession and starting over with a new government. 
I do not have the intelligence to figure out how our founding document can be overridden by a law, a court ruling, a war, a contract, or anything else. It is our right as human beings to form new governments when necessary. If Mark Levin is correct, then even were we to fall under Soviet, North Korean, or even Venezuelan-type tyranny, we would not be allowed to secede and start over. I refuse to believe that. It is ironic that Mark Levin, on his show the other night, quoted a speech by Calvin Coolidge about how foundational the ideals of the Declaration of Independence are, how they do not derive from government, and they can never be lost. And I was even more saddened to hear one of my favorites, Tucker Carlson, debate someone representing a secessionist movement in California and ask him, quote, why would we let California go? So all this leads to our guest, who will tell us about a project that builds on this understanding of the current state of America and works towards a truly workable solution, even if it takes a long time and much work. It all begins with fortifying and saving one or two states so that the American way of life can live on somewhere. Folks, we have to step away for a few moments. This is the Liberty Block on 1490 WGCH with Elliot Axelman, Laser Axelman here in studio. In about 15 more minutes, we're going to have on Matt Phillips, president of the Free State Project, to explain what we should all be working on as people who love liberty throughout the country. Instead of focusing on races, giving money to candidates against Senator Chuck Schumer, which is a waste of money because he's going to win anyway, where can we focus our money, time, energy, resources best and maybe even move to a state that will remain free for the next generation? How many of us realize that today federal agents can invade a man's property without a warrant? They can impose a fine without a formal hearing, let alone a trial by jury, and they can seize and sell his property at auction to enforce the payment of that fine. Last time before I go westward to Wyoming with my brother here, Elliot, on the left side, we're going to have our guest on shortly. But before that, I just want to expound upon several of the ideas that have been mentioned thus far. So, the notion that restructuring a government or a state seceding is so crazy that Tucker Carlson just dismisses it altogether and says that he would burn somebody's property or says something ridiculous like, why would we let California go? For starters, Tucker Carlson, I would be very glad to let California go. Please, somebody, take California. I will give California to Japan. Japan, if you We'll sell it to Russia. Take it. Yeah, the Russians will hack it. They can take that too. But aside from the fact that we really, well, should sell California, I'm not really sure what Tucker Carlson's basis is for being so utterly dismissive like Mark Levin is. If you look at the simple fact of the matter, the American Revolution is the only true civil war in the history of the United States of America. A civil war is defined as the people fighting for control of an existing government. Within 100, 150 years of the United States Civil War, which occurred in 1770s, the French had a civil war. The Russians had a revolution, you know, which is a civil war. The Spanish did it. Everybody did it. 
Government off. requires reconstruction. Every government eventually, sadly, almost inherently, eventually devolves into a much more tyrannical state than when it initially began. And when that tyranny reaches an acme, the people need to re-seize it, the people need to take the government back, and they need to start over. And you can look at any culture, and you can look at any place. It's why royalty was overthrown, and now the British have a parliament, instead of just having a king named Richard who says, I want to do this, and I want to do that, and here's how it's going to be. So, when they say something like the Civil War settles the issue of secession, and I understand that the Supreme Court has never actually cited the Declaration of Independence itself in any sort of ruling, and that you cannot extrapolate written law from the Declaration of Independence like you can from the Constitution, which is a legal document. And again, the Declaration of Independence is not considered a legal document. However, the very concept of the Declaration of Independence is the establishment of our nation. And if the very, very, very core tenets, we're talking one of the first few sentences of the Declaration of Independence, is meaningless, then does anything that ensued really have any meaning? Does the Constitution mean anything if the Declaration doesn't? Because if the Declaration of Independence doesn't mean anything, well, then we're still under British rule. And if we're still under British rule, then why are we even pretending to have a Constitution? Why don't we just call Parliament in England and say, hey, guys, why don't you give us some pounds and tell us how to live our lives like you did 300 years ago? Why are we even playing this game? The fact of the matter is the Constitution exists because the Declaration of Independence exists. We cannot ignore the Declaration of Independence. Tucker Carlson, Mark Levin, you can't say, well, Abraham Lincoln decided to, you know, throw the entire Constitution out the window and commit several internationally recognized acts of war in the 1860s, and therefore he settled the issue. That's like deciding what color to paint your house and shooting the opposition and saying, well, there's it's been decided. to paint it blue. It's been decided. The right answer is blue, and now it's blue. Winners write history. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're altogether correct. Maybe they're somewhat correct. Maybe they're dead wrong. But the fact of the matter is winners write history, and it's very sad that Mark Levin and Tucker Carlson, who really should be a lot more intelligent and are a lot more intelligent than most people, will just look at that and say, well, these guys won. So therefore, whatever they say just has to be correct. That's why it was so interesting to me that just the other night, Mark Levin read from his own new book, a speech by Calvin Coolidge on exactly this subject, that the Declaration of Independence is almost a religious document. It's the foundation of absolutely everything else. But how can he believe that and then be against what it says? So my challenge to Mark Levin and, and Tucker Carlson, again, someone I looked up to a lot, and it was very disappointing seeing him argue that that person who was not really the most intelligent, best debater, the California secessionist guy, it was very disappointing. I would propose the question to them, at what point would they support us invoking the Declaration? So if you read the Declaration of Independence, like we've read parts of it on the show, it it gives us the moral authority to stand up to the government. It says straight up, abolish the government and form a new one amongst ourselves because we have our natural rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness Weird. when the government becomes like more tyrannical. Yeah, exactly. So action. Mark Levin seems to say it was okay we did it back then, but we can't do it again now. Why? What's the difference? Okay, so I'll, I'll say Mark. When the income tax becomes 95%, just one tax bracket, 95% income tax, and when the Second Amendment is 100% repealed, they reverse Heller and guns are all illegal, at what point 
then will he support us invoking the declaration again? At what point? How bad does it have to get? He would probably tell you to get off the phone, you big Exactly. Get off the phone. Shut up, you big dummy. That, that's the issue. So what we're telling people is at least for, for the 100 million or so Republicans or 50 million Republicans who generally vote along party lines and, and most of those people do consider themselves staunch conservatives and, and lovers of liberty, at least at some point after – McConnell's been lying to you for 20, 30 years. McCain's going to be, it's going to be 36 years he's been in the U.S. Senate after his term. That's wonderful. That's yeah. longer than the vast majority of the founders spent in government. That's, that's a good point. So at, at what point, after they lie to you for 36 years, at what point are people like Mark Levin going to encourage the, the millions of Republicans who listen to him to at least stop, at least start considering a libertarian party or a third party or, or an alternative to giving money to McConnell? Because... Guys, right? How many people donate to McConnell's re-election campaigns? Millions. Uh, Enough that he keeps winning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are there are maybe a few hundred thousand Kentucky Republicans who give money. Think about this: they actively give money for McConnell to be re-elected. In Arizona, almost every single Republican in Arizona, if not donates, at least votes for John McCain again and again. I think it's more complicated than that in those states. I think it's the party leaders make it known that anybody in the party who wants to be anything yeah. but a dog catcher cannot work for any other candidate. As a matter of fact, Mark Levin mentioned the other night that there's a challenger to the senator who's temporarily took the seat of um, Jeff Sessions, and they've already made it known to any business, Mm -hmm. any advertiser Mm -hmm. who supports Mo Brooks against the current incumbent will never again get business from the Republican Party anywhere. So it's not just votes and money. There's unbelievable political pressure. Now, it's nice to know that McConnell can fight. Only problem is he only fights his own party, but it really is wonderful to see him wake up and fight. See, this is wonderful. To me, all I can think of hearing things like that is names like like Joseph Stalin or perhaps the wonderful leader of North Korea, Oh, hey, I was totally democratically elected because I went to everybody else who you was running his house, and I said, I'll shoot you in the head if anybody votes for you. That's what we're doing what did here. They say? Wasn't, wasn't it Reagan who said um, it, he won the vote, but there was only one option to vote for? There's a famous saying like that. There's, there's one person on the ballot, but uh, I won the election. That's yeah, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad primary, won a that's vote. That's the problem with the two-party system and the primary system, which, again, even Mark Levin, Dan Bongino, et cetera, are starting to realize the way the primary system is set up, whether it's because of open primaries or because of the pressure you get, there's a reason why I was thinking this morning, look back at Republican nominees going backwards. So in the last election, who ran against, well, this, who ran against Trump? We got Trump because of the primary system. Yeah. Before that, we had Romney, he, a he rhino was against. selected, I assume, Obama. by the GOP. Before that, we had McCain, a rhino. Before that, in one of the elections, I believe we put up Bob Dole. Only a rhino can win. A Republican primary because of that pressure. They are anointed. The I use the word anointed. Like right. you grew up, they, right. the, the only people who use system, that word is, is Jews, but they are again, anointed. in the they are anointed, anointed by the, the high priests. Two-party system will never produce a Ted Cruz for presidential nominee, even though the Republicans hated Trump. But they will never, ever allow a conservative. And there's pretty much no way to beat the two-party system. No, and yeah. what's sad is the reason they prefer Trump there is because Trump doesn't threaten the. I use this word very loosely, integrity of the Republican Party. Very loose. Because Trump can exist and say wild things, and he goes left, and he goes right, and nobody really knows what Donald Trump's ever going to do, but that's pretty okay with the modern-day Republican Party because most of the time they go left of right anyway. 
the difference is Ted Cruz actually challenges the current structure and status quo of the Republican Party, and that's a frightening thought. And there will be others like Ted Cruz who will come up and will be crushed in kind because, very simply put, the Republican Party has become a large entity like the Democratic Party. There's no – now the Libertarian Party, we're trying to do something. We're trying to show Americans that there are more, as it turns out, than two people who can possibly be elected to you know, the office of the president of the United States or any elected office. Anybody can be, so long as you meet the age requirements, you're a citizen of the United States. I know that given my options living in New York this past election, I wrote myself in for half the things on the ballot. Laser Axelman got exactly one vote I for Senate. I wrote yourself in two. Got a vote for – look at that. I got two votes. And what's sad is that that's more votes than a lot of third-party candidates are getting in a lot of states and a lot of elections around the country. So look at that. You can vote for anybody you want. Harambe got more votes than some third-party – candidates in some places harambe got millions of votes or thousands of votes whatever it was mickey mouse gets votes every time so we don't have to vote for these people that some people in an ivory tower have told us we have to vote for just because they like them well the problem is because of the clinton election that he won seemingly because perot ran third party we're pretty much traumatized mm-hmm, by third mm-hmm. parties, and that's why it's taking mm-hmm. so long for Limbaugh, Levin, et cetera, to say, you know what? We oppose a third party, but this is for sure not working. Maybe we need to look at something else. Yeah, one more point I want to make on that topic before we bring in Matt Phillips from the Free State Project is if you actually look at the numbers, the people who did not vote – so we don't have a none-of-the-above option to vote. But if we did, the people who didn't vote – only, what, 20% of the country voted? So 80% essentially rejected Trump and Clinton because they're both terrible, absolutely terrible candidates with, like you said, no integrity at all. So it, you could say one of them got 9, 9% of the vote, one got 10% of the vote, but 80% of the country largely rejected both of them. So we have Matt Phillips on the phone, the president of the Free State Project, and he's going to spend the next 18 minutes telling us what the Free State Project is and, and why we think it might be a really good option for everyone who supports liberty and wants to secure it in our lifetime and more importantly for our future descendants going forward for the, the next few generations. So we're going to bring in Matt Phillips on the phone now, calling in from New Hampshire. Matt Phillips, welcome Hi. to the program. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. So could you just tell us how the Free State Project came to be? Was it 15 years ago? Uh, so in 2001, a gentleman by the name of Jason Sorens, who was a um, Yale PhD candidate at the time, uh, penned an article for an online, uh, an online magazine where he said, hey, libertarians, instead of always losing everywhere with everything we try to do, why, why don't we try instead to concentrate our efforts in one single low population U.S. state? and see if we can get the numbers that we would need in order to shift the conversation and get some traction for our ideas and maybe even run for office and and have enough support that we can be successful. And um, some other people read that and uh, thought that was a good idea, so they sort of took the idea and ran with it. They came up with a list of 10 potential states, uh, including places like Alaska, Wyoming, Nevada, the Dakotas, uh, Vermont, Maine, uh, New Hampshire, a couple others, and there was a vote in 2003. Once we had 5,000 people, you know, signed up saying yes, I'll move to wherever we vote for. Uh, we we voted to um, New Hampshire 
as the destination, which in retrospect I think was probably uh, the, a, a great choice. It's the live for your die state. Uh, there's no broad-based income tax. There's no broad-based sales tax. Uh, there's pretty liberal gun laws. Um, it just got a lot more liberal uh, mm-hmm. this a few months ago, year, March, I think. I'll, yeah, which I'll, I'll tell you about in a, more in a, little, in a little bit. Uh, little things like there's no motorcycle helmet law, there's uh, no adult uh, seatbelt law for, for cars. You're not obligated to have uh, car, uh, auto insurance, although you know, upwards of 90% uh, people do. Um, the state legislature is a really interesting uh, place. It's uh, There's a 24-member Senate, but then there's a 400-member state house. So the average state rep only has about 3,000 constituents. It's really easy to get elected there. The average state rep spends something like $500 yeah. every two years to get elected. Um, it's just really easy. It's really accessible level of government. It's very decentralized. There's 230 towns in New Hampshire. So in each one of those towns has their own uh, select board or, or, or town council um, and school board often. Um, and it's very de- it's very uh, geographically it's pretty small. Ninety percent of the population of New Hampshire lives within fifty miles of Manchester. So unlike say Wyoming, which was mm-hmm. a sort of distant runner-up, you know, 13, fourteen years ago, uh, it's pretty easy to get around to all the different libertarian meetup groups, of which there's quite a few these days. So in the uh, since two thousand three, um, we've been building up, trying to get twenty thousand people to pledge to move to New Hampshire within five years of hitting that. 20,000 number. And we got that 20,000 signers uh, early last year um, on a day now forever known as Porcupine Day, which is uh, <laughs> I February, like it. February uh, 3rd. It's the day after Groundhog Day. It's really easy to remember. Um, and so, and, and, but even before we got that, a lot of people decided, you know what, I'm not even going to wait. I can see the way this is going and I'm willing to move. So we've already got about 2,100 people who have moved here to New Hampshire. Uh, Interestingly, more than that, about 2,500, 2,600 uh, people who already lived here before we even came up with the idea for the Free State Project, they already lived here. They signed the same statement of intent to say, yes, we're welcoming uh, of these people to, to the state, and we want to also fight for liberty. Um, so there's already close, you know, coming up on 5,000 people that are here in the state that are fighting for liberty. There's plenty of people that, you know, Never heard of the Free State Project, but are also fighting for liberty here. You know, it, it, we pick New Hampshire because it has a, you know, a very, uh, you know, a baseline culture of you know, live and let live. Um, but since we've started moving here, some people, you know, some people don't get involved in politics at all. Uh, some people run. Uh, some people, you know, start a business or go to school or they raise a family or they just want to live out in the in the Northwoods and in a cabin and be left alone. But plenty of people also do get involved in politics. And the Free State Project itself is a 501c3 nonprofit, so we don't uh, endorse uh, candidates or, or active legislation. But many of the participants who move here for the Free State Project do get involved. Uh, and so many of them have been elected um, to both state and local office. And, um, you know, the election last year was pretty interesting here in New Hampshire. Uh, all the federal offices went went Democratic. Um so the, the U.S. Senate seat went to uh, um, the former governor, Maggie Hassan. Uh, both uh, congressional seats 
uh, stayed blue, and uh, Shaheen is the other senator who, who was up for election, who won in, in 2014. But all of the state-level offices, the, 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 the House, the Senate, the governor, and the executive council, which is a somewhat unique uh, institution, it's a five-member a board that sits right below the governor and has veto power over all contracts larger than $50,000 and over uh, oh. judicial appointments and, and et cetera. All of those went Republican. So Chris Sununu is our new Republican governor, the first Republican governor in 12 years. And so as a result of that, so far this year alone, I'm just talking in the last six months, we have had instituted into law Constitutional carry, so you can now carry a uh, concealed firearm with no permit, uh, medi- um, expanded medical uh, marijuana. Uh, we expanded to include uh, some additional uh, uh, you know, diseases and syndromes and things. Uh, marijuana decrim, so uh, up to three-quarters of an ounce is now merely a violation, not a uh, felony. Uh, we deregulated cryptocurrency, so Bitcoin and, and Ethereum and all of those are not subject to state-level uh, financial controls. Yeah, so the exact opposite um, of New York. Right. Um, we legalized home poker games, which you wouldn't think is even a thing, but it turns out something like half of the states have rules against that. We exempted uh, African hair braiders from um, occupational licensing. We legalized firecrackers. We have legalized needle exchange programs uh, to fight the opioid epidemic. We uh, have allowed brew pubs to make cider. We have greater vaccine options at pharmacies. And we also instituted, this is a big one, a school choice for towns without public schools. So of those 230 towns in New Hampshire, for the ones that have no public schools because they're pretty small, they have the option now of instead of busing their kids to neighboring towns to go to their public schools that you know and pay public school tuition prices, they can allow the parents to opt instead to send their kids to a local private school, which saves the town a lot of money and also obviously you know generally gets a better education for the student. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, we actually have to step away for a minute. We're going to keep you over the break, though, because I know there's a lot okay. more to talk about New Hampshire and their Free State Project. We're going to step away for two minutes. You're listening to the Liberty Block on 1490 WGCH and WGCH.com anywhere. Project. But before we return to Matt, I just want to thank our sponsor, somebody I'm personally very fond of as a guy who dropped out of school repeatedly and yet still somehow is a success in life without a college degree. I want to talk about Praxis for two seconds. Praxis embodies the same principles that we talk about on this show, and they teach people the importance of creating actual value and then train them to become their own walking resume as opposed to relying on a diploma, which, let's face it, is just a piece of paper that all of your classmates also have. Praxis is a 12-month-long training and apprenticeship program that teaches people skills that are actually in demand in today's job market, as opposed to colleges that gladly take tons of your money and all of your time and rarely prepare you for the real world at all. After the Praxis program, Praxis places 98% of its participants in full-time positions immediately after finishing the 12-month program, and the average salary of those positions is roughly $50,000 a year, which is significantly higher than the average job that somebody gets after getting a bachelor's degree. The program is not very expensive. During that 12-month program, you'll earn more than you could spend since you'll be working as a paid apprentice for the second half of the year. To find out more, visit discoverpraxis.com liberty and feel free to apply. I want to come back to Matt Phillips. Matt, this is Laser. Thank you so much again for coming on the program. I want to cover just a couple real quick things with you and then I want to hear a lot more. 
about the Free State Project, as I'm sure our listeners do. Before I do any of that, I, I want to apologize because I overlooked New Hampshire and I'm going to Wyoming literally straight from the studio today. And I know that was your second choice, but it became mine, so sorry about that. <laughs> Beyond that, I, what's that? I would say that's okay. I grew up out west and um, used to secretly hope for Wyoming, but, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, it's got its own advantages. Uh, I, I wish you best of luck out there. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it does. New Hampshire was a, a tight second, and the no sales tax thing is, is pretty nice. Let me see what I can do about getting Wyoming on board with that party. Beyond that, I want to touch upon just a couple points and really drive them home. I think it's very important for people to understand because I'm sure New Yorkers are sitting at home wondering how with no mandatory seatbelts and no helmet laws, the entire population of New Hampshire hasn't died by now since that's obviously the only thing keeping us alive is Big Brother looking out. And uh, it, it is a mystery um, how uh, that, that and how we haven't all shot each other by now given that you can now true. conceal carry a firearm. That's amazing. I mean, we uh, all know that your concealed carries just leap out of your holsters and shoot people totally on their own, entirely irrespective of who's holding them or whether a trigger is ever pulled because, you know, guns are inherently dangerous. So truly mystifying how you guys are in New Hampshire and also alive and safe and healthy at the same time. Um, unbelievable stuff. And I also, I just want to point out, I was unaware of just how thoroughly New Hampshire breaks its government down and the small number of constituents that go to these representatives so that they can actually understand what's going on with their citizenry or the fact that they have additional checks and balances on the governor. I, you know, maybe you could have convinced me to come to New Hampshire after all if we'd have spoken a year ago. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's always the challenge is to get the word out um, to people, you know, like you and your listeners who are sitting in the, you know, the state that they're living in, knowing that they've got to get out and they've got to get somewhere better, especially places like New York and Connecticut and New Jersey, California. Um, they just don't know where to go and they haven't heard of us yet. Um, and if only... You know, they would hear even just a little piece of the message and the promise of what we're trying to do, because we've only just gotten started. Uh, you know, it makes the decision a lot easier to say, you know what, I uh, don't care about the weather. Uh, I'm going to go there and be part of something that's great. And the other thing is that even if we are never successful with any of the legislative stuff, you still get to be part of a you can move here tomorrow and be part of this amazing, vibrant community of thousands of like minded individuals who all get together on a very regular basis. I mean, there's a meetup in the state somewhere pretty much every day of the week, um, all year long. And then, of course, we've got our, our major annual events. The next one coming up is uh, Free Coast Fest, which is September 8th through 10th uh, down over in Portsmouth. Then our winter event, Liberty Forum, which is uh, February 8th through 10th. And then, of course, our big annual summer festival, the Porcupine Freedom Festival, affectionately known as Pork Fest, and that's in late June. And you can find out all about that, more about all those on our website. But the way, to, the way to figure out what's really going on up here is to come visit, come talk to a bunch of us, and uh, get, to know, uh, get to know people and what the different forms of activism are that are happening up here, because it's not all just political. Um, and that will give you a sense of what's really going on on the ground here and how much sort of enthusiasm and excitement. And um, I didn't even get through the entire list of all the things that have happened earlier. Yeah, you have two minutes uh, left. Go for it. Speak as fast as you can. Matt, I want to ask you one quick question. If I wanted to come sure. to New Hampshire tomorrow, who would I, whose door would I knock on? Uh, heck, you can knock on mine. Uh, go to the website or go to one of our Facebook groups and just say, hey, I'm thinking about moving. And you, people will get you sorted and get you pointed in the right direction. We've got a 
Facebook group for people who for doing housing search. We've got another group for people to do a job search. Um, there's resources. There's a lot of information. There's a ton of people that are ready to help you figure out where to live and what to do and how to how to get acclimated. So um, find us on Facebook. Find us. Go to our website. It's uh, freestateproject.org, and we will uh, we'll get you set up. Excellent. Yeah, you have one more minute to list all the amazing things about New Hampshire and the FSP. Go for it, Matt. Well, well, you were, I know you were talking earlier a lot about the Libertarian Party stuff. So the Republican Party here in New Hampshire is very libertarian, much more so than any other state or, or definitely at the national level. And a lot of free staters who move here, when they run, they run as Republicans. Some of them even run as Democrats, depending on what ward they're in, uh, and even get reelected. Um, mm-hmm. But this year, uh, sorry, the election last year, there was a gubernatorial candidate who got more than broke the 4% barrier and got the Libertarian Party here in New Hampshire ballot access. So this coming year, for this right now, you can register as a big L Libertarian here in New Hampshire and register to run as a Libertarian. Three state reps, two Republicans and one Democrat so far have defected to become Libertarian. Uh, so there are three Libertarian state representatives sitting in, in the legislature today. Uh, we'll see if they can get reelected. Uh, as libertarians uh, next year. Um, so there's, uh, oh, and the last thing, uh, Governor Chris Nunu, Republican, just axed 1,600 regulations a couple oh, yeah. weeks ago uh, and put another 1,600 to the legislature for them to uh, to act on. So there's a ton of stuff going on here. There's no other way to really understand it, the scale of it, other than to come visit. So get up here and check it out. I love it, Matt. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for joining the Liberty Block. If anybody else wants to hear any of this, listen to the show or find out more about the Free State Project, check us out at thelibertyblock.com, libertyblock.com or freestateproject.org. Thank you for listening to us on 1490 WGCH. When it comes to you, how it all slips away. Youth and beauty are gone one day. No matter what you dream or feel or say, this kind of stoop labor in a hundred degrees temperature. A new sanctions bill signed into law today by the president. The president.